As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Tribune Audio Network. So what you're saying is this guy is the founding member and president of the Brian Polson fan club. You know what's funny is he's actually told me before that he kind of likes me. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. We're investigative reporters breaking down the big stories, what it took to get them, taking you behind the scenes. It's the stuff we couldn't tell you on TV. On today's episode, the hip check heard around the world, the story behind one of the most memorable moments for the Fox 6 investigators. And Fall from Grace, the seemingly reputable contractor who ended up turning himself into police. Hello, I'm Amanda St. Hilaire here with Jenna Sachs. Hi. And Brian Polson. Hello. So Brian's done a lot of stories, and we are going to talk about one of the most memorable moments of his career. A courthouse confrontation became part of a heavily played Fox 6 Investigators promotional ad. You told me that you were going to turn your life around. In fact, you, did you just hip check me, Dan? The incredible backstory behind the hip check could keep Brian talking for hours. In fact, it just did a little while ago when we were going over this story. I could talk about this nonstop because this, from a story journalism standpoint, has kind of been the gift that's kept on giving over the years. And if you've never seen a single Fox 6 investigation, you've probably seen or heard about the hip check. It happened in 2015 on the sixth floor of the Milwaukee County Courthouse as I was firing questions at a career criminal named Daniel Burzak. But my first encounter with Burzak had actually taken place seven years earlier on a front porch in Muskego. Do you understand? Get off my property. Get off my property. So this all started back in 2008 when we got a complaint about a moving company that was ripping off customers and rifling through their personal belongings. It sounded kind of hard to believe that any moving company would do something like that. But I quickly discovered the man behind that business had a long criminal record for theft, break-ins, and drugs, and it kind of started to make a little bit of sense. So at one point, I went to talk to him at a house in Muskego that was owned by his parents. And that led to him yelling in my face to get off his property and a threat that we captured um, shortly thereafter in which he threatened to bust me in the mouth. All that was on camera. So sort of an intense situation. And of course, it made for some pretty interesting uh, television. And looking through his criminal court files, I actually found an old transcript from a sentencing in which he had confessed to the judge that he'd been a total menace to society. Now, remember, this is a guy who's running a business in which he takes people's entire earthly belongings into his own possession. So for that first story, we dubbed him the moving menace. And that is where it all began. And believe me, that was just the beginning. So let's talk about how things unfolded. You had that initial confrontation. I'm sure a lot of things were going through your mind at that point. But what led into all these other stories ultimately with that hip check? Well, just that first story, and the the hip check comes years later, but you start with that front porch confrontation. Um, We come to find that this wasn't just a guy with, we often say long criminal record. This was an extraordinary criminal record of generally petty crimes. He wasn't, they weren't violent crimes, 
but he had a long list. I think we had a montage of booking photos that we used. There were something like 48 arrests, a couple of dozen booking photos just by this point in 2008. So he had been in and out of jail pretty much his entire adult life. And we did that first story. We found a number of victims of his moving company, um, people who were out thousands of dollars, who had lost family heirlooms, um, and just felt really deeply victimized. But that was just the beginning because after that first story, he was sent to jail for a short amount of time. He gets back out and we get wind of a crime spree at a bunch of park and ride lots where someone's breaking into all kinds of cars. And lo and behold, we get a tip that it's the same guy who's now doing this. And it turned out he was on uh, a drug-fueled, according to police, a crack binge, uh, drug-fueled crime spree. So he was going around smashing all these windows in on cars, and uh, and he fled and was, you know, nobody could find him for a while. And we actually noticed this is how far this goes back. He had a MySpace page. <laughs> yes. I love that part of a this. A MySpace page. Remember and he that? he had updated his MySpace page with the words, lay low. So we knew, well, he's still around and he knows he's got to lay low from all of this. And I pointed that out on the air. And not long after that, Milwaukee police used his MySpace page to track an IP address to Arizona. They found him in Arizona, extradited him back to Wisconsin, and he faced criminal charges here in Wisconsin, goes away again to either jail or prison. I can't recall which it was at the time. And he gets out again. And uh, that's when things started to really get interesting because that's when he got out and he opened his own business. And you just saw we were watching that story. We were. And that is uh, – it was one of the more remarkable things. I get wind again a couple of years later. Dan Burzak's out of jail and he's running a tattoo parlor. And the tattoo parlor was called Menace Inc. So he was leaning into this. Oh, he, he apparently got somewhat of a kick out of the attention, which of course is not our goal – is to make sort of a celebrity out of a criminal. Um, but he was a menace, and he was running this moving company. We gave him this sort of nickname. Next thing you know, he's using that to promote his own tattoo parlor. But he wasn't done with moving is what we found. So then we have another story because we find he and his father were actually still running moving operations under a bunch of different names, and they were still ripping people off. So you had your first confrontation with him, and then the second one for your second story, which was maybe the more memorable one, what happened in that well, confrontation? It, 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 you're talking about the hip check now, I right? Am. Because that's actually not even the second one, so the oh tattoo my. parlor story happens, and uh, we, we go to visit him at the tattoo parlor, and he kicks us out. He says, you can't be here, and again, he says, get off my property. Um, and so we do a story on that. He eventually agrees to do an interview and actually sat down and did an on-camera interview with me uh, in which he made all sorts of excuses about how it's all of the customer's fault. They weren't ready for the moves and so on yeah. and so At forth. At one point he said, you know, well, it was their fault because they had boxes that were different sizes. He, he said, movers hate to move boxes that are different <laughs> sizes. I mean, it how was... dare you? It was absurd, yes. As someone sizes. who's moved several times, I found that I found You got a few boxes a, that were I got different a chuckle, sizes? Did yeah. you have a hat? I was your hat, hat in a box? And it was in a box. Okay. Uh, he pointed out some, there was a hat in a photo. That hat should have been in a box. So it, it, was, it got to the point of absurdity. Um, but again, he was sent uh, to jail after some of that had happened. And then after about the third or fourth stint with him getting back out, we get a tip that there was an RV stolen in, uh, and I think it was in the Greenfield area. And after this RV was stolen, we find out from police they think it's the same guy again. Um, he was, there had been some other equipment stolen from, I think it was some, maybe some heaters or some other or air conditioners or something from a commercial lot. 
he's back in court again. So this time I go to the courthouse. Dan, here we are again. And I see him in the hallway and I start talking to him and, and he has a conversation with me um, that I'm recording on a cell phone that's in my hand. I'm kind of holding the cell phone down low. So I don't want to be particularly confrontational at this point because he's talking. And as we're talking, he said something at one point, I'm a criminal. That's what I'm supposed to do. And so that became a soundbite in the story. It just keeps getting more interesting with this guy. Well, he goes in. He's again, uh, uh, I think, sentenced. Or I think at that time he wasn't. He was still out of custody. So after this court hearing, he's walking out of the courtroom. It's the sixth floor of the Milwaukee County Courthouse. He comes out and he has his attorney with him. And as they're walking down the hallway, I'm trying to ask questions. And, and if you've ever been a part of these confrontations, sometimes you're trying to get in front of them and you want the photographer to be in front so people can see their face. Mm-hmm. And the photographer had jumped up ahead and was backpedaling, essentially walking backwards with a camera, which can be sort of a perilous thing as it is. And I'm trying to get around in front of Dan, but he's moving quickly. And I get to his side. So I hold the microphone around in front of him. And as I'm trying to ask him questions, he recognizes the opportunity. There's a a bench right next to us. It's at about my knee level. And I'm right next to his left hip. And at that moment, he just does a bump. And I know you can't see this on, uh, on the podcast, but he just moves his hip and bumps me. The camera's up on his sort of upper torso and face. So it's sort of subtle. And I think that's why he did it. He thought he could get away with it. He bumps me, and I ran my knee into the bench and sort of stumbled. And naturally, as a hockey fan my entire life, what came out of my mouth was, did you just hip check me, Dan? (laughs) And somehow that became the thing that our promotions department seized upon, put into a commercial that ran 50,000 times, I think would be a conservative estimate. So what you're saying is this guy is the founding member and president of the Brian Polson fan club. You know what's funny is he's actually told me before that he kind of likes me, which is peculiar. And I think maybe because he's gotten this sort of publicity out of it. It's probably given him some level of street cred among some of the people he hangs around with because he's known to associate with some people who also have some criminal histories. So maybe it's bought him a little street cred that he got that kind of attention. Although every time we do a story, he seems to go back to jail. So I don't know how much he could really <laughs> like it. But Do we know where Dan is now? Dan, Dan is out. He is a free man. And so far as I know, since he was released the last time, so far as I know, he has not been engaged in any other criminal activity. And I hope it certainly remains that way. Um, for the foreseeable future. But as history would suggest, you never know, we may cross paths again. Well, so you have these memorable characters who pop up from time to time. Obviously, he is one of them. What's the, I guess, the bigger picture lesson out of all of his escapades that you think is helpful for the public to know? Well, the thing that struck me about him and the reason I seized on him so early on was there were, as funny as some of these confrontations and entertainings at all might be as, as, as they are, there were people really being hurt by him. There were people who, who all of their worldly belongings were packed up in a truck and some guy who they later find has a lengthy criminal record has taken off with it and won't tell them where it is unless they pay three times the, am- the amount they agreed to. Holding or their life hostage. Holding their lives hostage. We heard that more than once. And, and I wanted to make sure that people knew about him, but also that the system could ensure people like that couldn't run moving businesses. In our very first story, we looked at whether or not there was any regulation of moving companies in Wisconsin, and there's very, very little. Still to this day, there's very little regulation of moving companies unless they're doing interstate moving. There's a lot more regulation if you're moving things across state lines, but there was really little way to keep a 
uh, a criminal from a, a lengthy, a guy with a lengthy record from running a moving business. And I think that's one of the things. The other thing that I really thought was a lesson, those takeaways, because so many of his crimes were misdemeanors, the court system seemed to view it as it doesn't matter how many of these you get, they're just misdemeanors. And so the penalties would be fairly minimal. There were times where they would just lump eight or 10 cases together and sentence him all at once for all 10 misdemeanors and maybe give him a year in jail. And and maybe that was appropriate. I'm not questioning what the judges did, but it seemed overall like it wasn't treated as seriously as maybe a violent crime. Well, and, and maybe he kept it's not. Doing it. But he just kept doing it. And, and the real question became, how do you stop a career criminal from doing this kind of thing and victimizing more people? And in the end, that's what this was really all about. And it seemed like the judge in one of those stories, had some pretty harsh words for him as well and recognized that he had a lengthy criminal history. Well, I think probably for the judges, my guess would be when you notice that the TV cameras keep showing up again and again, it's also a way to, to, to look and go, well, boy, this guy has a, a lengthy record. The media is taking an interest. There's probably something here. And, and I think I think the, the court system in recent years has taken it more seriously. He did finally spend some more uh, legitimate time in prison, and a significant time in prison, and that may have something to do with where he is now. Again, I haven't heard of him being involved in criminal activity in the past couple few years. I hope that remains to be the case. If that's the case, then we've prevented new victims from being victimized. Did you ever worry about your safety? I mean, clearly you were dealing with someone who had an erratic history. You were repeatedly confronting this person. Did that? Did any of those well, concerns remember ever cross we've your had mind? a previous conversation about the whole Gary with the gun incident and my <laughs> judgment in these situations? This was back in 2008. Yes. I was still I'd only been here four years. I was a relatively new investigative reporter, and and I still remember we had a photographer named Miles Cooksey, great guy, wonderful mm-hmm. guy, not the kind of guy who likes to go on confrontations. He'd never been on one before. And he was there for the front porch thing where they said, you know, he yells at me to get off my property and spits in my face and then later says, you know, I'm going to bust you in the mouth. And we got back in the car and my adrenaline was all up. And and I said, I think I said to Miles, I actually thought the guy was going to take a swing at me. And I said it with probably somewhat of a, maybe too much of a smile on my face <laughs> because I still remember Miles just shaking his head. He was, the adrenaline was still kind of wearing off from him too. And he said, you are a different cat, man. <laughs> I'll never forget the words. I don't think he enjoyed that as much as I did. And of course, now years have passed and I realize maybe I should be taking my safety a little more seriously. But at the time, I was just excited that there was this great TV moment, if I'm being completely honest. Well, and it's that line we walk where, you know, we know that we need to do those confrontations mm-hmm. because that's what shows people, hey, we're serious about going after this and you don't get a free pass if you ignore our calls or decline an interview. Well, and Miles might have had a good point, too, because I've always said, actually, it's usually the photographer that ends up getting most of the ire of the person because they want him to stop recording. So I've always felt protected by having a camera there. But, of course, it doesn't speak well of how I feel about about the photographer's safety. So that's another thing that I've learned is I have to take that into consideration. With experience. Yes. Remember, if you have a story for the Fox 6 investigators, we want to hear it. You can call us at 414-586-586. 2777 or email us the investigators at fox6now.com All right now one thing Jenna does a lot of reporting on is bad contractors but this next case really broke the mold Most of the time the contractors she reports on refuse to admit they've done anything wrong In this case, a seemingly reputable contractor shocked his customers by turning himself into police 
and admitting he stole their money. Among this man's victims was a man with brain cancer who paid $21,000 for a kitchen renovation that never started. He just said he got in over his head and he didn't have money to start the project because he was, I guess, juggling money around from other customers and he didn't have the money to even start. He couldn't buy any of the material. So the contractor you just heard described is Gregory Cash of Wendell LLC, and by all appearances, he had it all together. He had a beautiful showroom in Pewaukee, uh, a good rating with the Better Business Bureau, and his contracts and renderings were beautiful and professional, and then it all fell apart. Uh, Cash told me his problem started when a bank promised him an additional loan for his new showroom that never materialized. And despite that, he continued taking on more work, hoping to dig himself out of this hole. But then he had more setbacks, and suddenly he reached a point of no return. And as a result, a lot of unsuspecting people got hurt. So you could say that cash ran out of cash. You could. I know you, that's cheesy, you but no, it's. I know I was trying to come to up with something that, that wasn't last very good. Name. But no, but what really strikes me is what you said about the the appearances. Because so often with these bad contractor stories, there were red flags right off the bat. Like, how did you not see the guy with the, you know, three wheels on his pickup truck was going to, you know, you could tell he was going to be a problem. No, this is, this guy had the great showroom. He had the BBB rating. All of these things look good. So if you were doing your homework as a consumer, you'd think this guy looks reliable. And that's one of the things that's stood out the most about this guy is you're right. Usually if you research a lot of the contractors we cover, a simple Google search is going to uncover a lot. Even checking their criminal history, you're going to see charges there. They're going to have a bad rating with the BBB. This guy seemed to have it all together. And, you know, the cherry on top of everything, of top of the cake, was this beautiful showroom in Pewaukee. If you walked into it, you'd think, wow, this guy really knows what he's doing. Um, but it shows that even in those cases um, where it seems like you're dealing with a real professional, you have to have your ducks in a row and you have to um, expect that this kind of thing can happen. Um, so it's important to stay on top of your projects. Well, what's also unique about this is him turning himself in. So what prompted that and why was that such a big deal? Well, it's a really big deal because theft by contractor is actually pretty hard to prosecute. A lot of times these cases are settled before they go to trial because they're hard to prove. You know, you it's not a crime to be a bad businessman. It's not a crime to be a bad contractor to be bad at your job and a legitimate defense in a lot of these cases. Well, I didn't mean to do it. You know, I was in over my head. I started taking money from over here and over here. And all of a sudden, you know, the money was gone. That's a legitimate defense. So it's easy to settle or to plead not guilty and, you know, to not go to jail for this. So the fact that he actually contacted the people who were his customers and said, I did this, I, it's a felony and I'm probably going to go to jail for it was a big deal. And for my conversations with him, it seemed like he had a lot of guilt about it, um, which is also out of the ordinary because a lot of the time I talk to these contractors and it's everybody's fault but theirs. You know, they've always got an excuse. It's the customer's fault. I had a bad crew. Um, the conditions were wrong from the beginning. You've heard it all. I've heard everything. And this guy was owning responsibility. And it doesn't necessarily make it easier for the people involved. But he did show a desire to pay people back. And I do think that's genuine. And I think he knew the first step was he had to turn himself in because he didn't want the long, drawn-out process of trying to pull this through the court system. Well, you talk about the part about it being difficult to prove as a criminal element. I know that DAs don't like to take these cases because they often involve, to prove the criminal side of it, they involve uh, hiring a forensic accountant and things that can be very expensive. So I'm guessing this is one of those kind of cases that unless they've got all the I's dotted and T's crossed, they probably don't want to get into the mess. But that also makes it harder to hold people accountable 
where they're doing something wrong. It's true. I mean, in order to prove this, you have to go through all sorts of bank statements and accounts and prove the money didn't go where it was supposed to go. And you have to prove intent. That's or, the hardest part, I'm that's sure. That's the hardest part. And, you know, Greg Cash kept saying to me, you know, I, I didn't intend to do it. And I was like, well, you, in my back of my head, I was thinking, you know, that could be a defense. I'm not going to say that to him. Um, but he seemed, you know, determined to turn himself A defense in. may be in a criminal exactly, sense, but it certainly doesn't help the cancer patient who lost $21,000. And actually, there were two cancer patients um, that I spoke to who were taken advantage of by him. Another gentleman who had breast cancer and had paid him $7,500 down for a kitchen project that never started. So there were a lot of victims here, more than a dozen that we heard about just through the charges that were filed against him, uh, more than $100,000 were taken from people. And that's hard to swallow, especially the gentleman, Eric Berger, who you heard from before. Um, $21,000 from someone who's battling cancer, who's not working a lot, is a lot of money. So how did that case resolve, or is it still going through the process? So he's still going through the court system right now. He has uh, four felony counts in Milwaukee County and five felony counts in Waukesha County. And in Milwaukee County, he has pleaded guilty, um, and there has been some sort of restitution agreement. Um, the case in Waukesha County is still going through, so we don't know how that's going to wrap up. Um, I would think it would end in a similar way if he's willing to plead guilty to these charges, you'd think he would the others. Um, but, you know, that's just a step toward being able to pay people back um, for the money he took. Uh, he lost his house. You know, he he's moved in with someone. And when I spoke with him, he was trying to get the money back. Um, but, you know, it's interesting talking about him now. I also spoke with customers who were very upset, who said, this is a con man. He stood in my kitchen and he told me, oh, my father had cancer. I totally know what it's like. Um, so they just felt very taken advantage of by him, especially since he took their money and he never came back. Well, and in, uh, intent or not, even if so it sounds like his portrayal of this would be sort of he just kind of got too far down the rabbit hole, trying to catch up, trying to get back into a good spot. But uh, if you're looking at sort of the message sent to other contractors, because I'm sure other contractors get into situations where, well, I'm a little behind, but if I could just get one more job, I can kind of mm-hmm. catch back up. And if there's really no consequence or not a criminal consequence, maybe it's worth taking that gamble. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll catch up. And if I don't, well, I'll just go out of business. But if you know someone like this has felony charges, may go to jail, does that maybe hold that hammer over the head of other contractors who might be thinking, yeah, I'll stand in the kitchen and tell them everything's fine? You'd hope so. I hear so often about people who say they seem like they were paying Paul by robbing Peter. We hear that phrase a lot. And contractors who get in over their head might think, I can get another project and then that money will help pay for my last project and hopefully eventually I'll get ahead of this. But those things just start to snowball over time. You know, if you aren't able to pay your workers, they're not going to show up and then you're going to get a bad review or maybe the project's not going to get done. And it just keeps going and going. So I guess if we had advice for people, it would be cut it off before it gets too out of hand because the problems just seem to grow and grow the longer you draw it out. What was it like to talk to this guy? You know, we had some lengthy phone conversations. Um, and he, he never went on camera, though, right? He did uh, later on. He we did, did a couple okay. stories about him, and I did talk to him at the courthouse. And when I did speak with him at the courthouse, he said, I did everything I'm accused of doing. I'm ready to face the consequences. And he was like that on the phone conversations, too. You know, I wanted him to go on camera for our first story because I felt like he had accepted responsibility for the crimes, and I thought he would be willing to show his face in the story and do it that way as well. Um, but he 
he kept saying, you know, I don't think this is going to help my customers because I want to pay them back. And the more attention on this, the less likely I'm going to be able to pay them back. You know, th- that's an argument Maybe you can believe or not. That, but it would be hard to, to, to say, you know, go back into business and not have your future customers know. Exactly. And they should before. know. I mean, if you're hiring him to do work in your home, I think you deserve to know what his history is. So hopefully he's going to do what he said. You know, he's going to try to pay these people back. I think it's going to take a long time if he's able to do it at all. Um, but unlike other people we've covered, at least he's shown a desire to do that. And no one's complained about the quality of his work when he did the work or have they? Do you the know? people I've all talked to never saw their projects start. So, they so there's know. no work to complain right. about. But there was a pretty good resolution for at least one of those people, right? We did. We had a wonderful resolution for Eric Berger, who, again, you heard from in the beginning of this piece. Um, he was a very compelling interview, um, had the attitude of, well, you know, there's just not a whole lot I can do about it. And a gentleman from uh, the Nary Foundation, uh, Milwaukee Nary, um, who owns a company called J&J Contractors One, his name is Jason Zybrowski. He saw the story. Um, he has a, a father with cancer and he was affected by it. And he decided that he was going to give Eric a kitchen renovation free of cost. He teamed wow. up with the Nary Foundation. They came over with a giant check and we got to be there and they presented it to him. And Eric is a really reserved guy. He doesn't seem very affected by anything. Remember, he wasn't upset about, you know, overly upset about his kitchen project. He was disappointed, but he wasn't angry. He wasn't pounding his fist. And when they presented him with that check, he got really choked up. And he he almost he almost cried. And he was so happy, not only for him, but because he, he partly wanted that kitchen for his wife. You know, she's maybe going to be around longer than he will. And he wanted her to have a nice kitchen um, in their house. And how that does that was feel just, for you? No, when you I'm get those, I would say up. when you get those moments, because it's one thing to hold a contractor accountable, but then to see someone who's been victimized have someone else come through for them like that as a reporter, that must feel great. It's the best outcome you can hope for. And we know it's not going to happen in every case. Um, but when it does, it just, it makes us so happy. And it reminds us that there are really good contractors in this community. And we focus on the bad ones because, you know, they, they really take advantage of people. And it's a huge setback if you lose tens of thousands of dollars to a contractor. But there are so many people out in our community who do these things right. And that's why it's nice to remind people that they're out there. And if you do your research, if you go to places like the Neary Foundation or Milwaukee Neary, you're going to find good people. Um, So it's just, it's a great feeling. And we were were just so excited to be there to break that good news to him. That's outstanding. So remember, Contact 6 is always ready to help. If you've got a complaint, call or fill out a form on our website, fox6now.com. That would be the dinner bell. It means it's time for dinner party questions. This is a weekly segment where we answer questions we most often get asked at parties, events, or just out and about by people like you or our friends or our family members. So here's the catch. We have no idea what the question is going to be. There are several envelopes in front of us, and we're going to pick one at random. Whose uh, turn is it this time? Brian, is I think it, it's yours. Is it me? Okay. Yeah. All right. So there are f- Here we go. five envelopes left. We're going to need more ideas, aren't we? <laughs> and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But okay, so I'm going with this one. Can we get our own fancy letter opener? I feel like we've discussed it's this. more fun when I just struggle to open <laughs> the envelope. Okay. It is fun to watch you struggle. Let's see. <clears throat> do you ad-lib your lines or do you write them ahead of time? 
Amanda, that, or no, go ahead. All right. No, you start, Jenna. Um, that depends on the situation. I, sometimes you don't have time if you're in a breaking news situation. You don't have time to rehearse line for line. But in the stories we're doing, generally I'm preparing everything ahead of time because we have more time than a day of reporter. You know, we aren't doing the general assignment, the fires, you know, the crime, the politics of the day. We're doing stuff that's more drawn out. So, yeah, I generally pick, figure out things line by line ahead of time. What about you guys? Well, especially for these kinds of stories where you have so much information and research, it's actually easier and a faster script write to make the story longer. It takes more effort mm-hmm. to make it shorter. So that's where we are thinking about every single word and does this need to be here and is this accurate and is this the strongest way to describe it as we let the story unfold. So, yeah, all of that scripted. Um, But, you know, at the end, if we're chatting about something, um, you know, we'll have an idea of what we're talking about, but that may not be necessarily word for word. And what we do here with the podcast, that's, you know, we have our introductions that are scripted, but a lot of this is just us talking back and forth. And I wonder what our lawyers think, because when it comes to the (laughs) scripts that go on the air, they're heavily reviewed by attorneys who want to make sure we are protecting the rights of the people we're reporting on, that we're being careful, we're buttoning things up. So yeah, the stories themselves, that like a recorded story scripted, the question I often get about that, though, is that sort of after interaction that you have with the Mm -hmm. anchors, are they just reading a question you've written? And yes, the secret's out. Oftentimes, we've scripted a question for the anchors to ask us. And that's in part because a lot of times there are questions that we know the stories may be going to leave and we think sort of just needs to be addressed in that mm-hmm. fashion. I mean, it's also so, so the anchors don't have to just come up with something off the top of their head when they've got a million other responsibilities in that newscast because we know that these in-depth reports, um, sometimes an off-the-cuff question can lead things down a path maybe you don't want to go. Or so we they don't are, have time to talk about. Mm-hmm. So they're often scripted. But the answers and then the interaction after that sometimes, and you'll be able to tell if you watch some of these stories, it becomes ad lib because you be, you just start talking about it. And we all know these subjects so well by the time we get to air that if the producers weren't screaming and the anchors eager yeah, to move rat. on, we could sit and talk for 20 minutes about it like we will here. But um, so, so that Q&A starts off as scripted, but sometimes evolves into more of an ad lib. Although I will say when I did the more general assignment reporting and I was out day to day, sometimes if you had a story that came together really fast, maybe it was a breaking news story, sometimes the anchor would toss you a question at the end that you actually didn't know the answer to yet. So you'd find yourself saying something like, oh, well, that's what we're trying to find out. We'll, <laughs> we'll stay on top of it for you. We're trying. and you know, <laughs> Right. That's always kind of an awkward. Sometimes you just have to admit like, oh, uh, we're still trying to figure that out. Sorry. Or they'll, when they're leading into you, you know, you, you have maybe three pieces of information and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you hear all three pieces of information in your ear leading into you. And that's when the ad-libbing really kicks in, right? But I've I've had people ask if we use teleprompters out in the field for breaking news, and, and we don't. And our meteorologists don't either. That's mm-hmm. all ad-libbed. So it depends on what part of the newscast I, you watch. If you probably looked at about a five- or six-year window of my stories when I do the onset tag to an investigation, uh, I, I got used to it, if. If an anchor was going to say something, sometimes it won't even be a question. It's a little editorial comment they might make that seems safe. Sure. But they make a comment, and I don't know how I'm going to respond to it. I realized you can almost always respond to it with, you bet. 
<laughs> and so I probably, You're giving away all your I probably ended today. about 27 consecutive investigations <laughs> with You Bet. And then I realized I got to stop saying that. It's getting <laughs> old. So I had to come up with other ways like absolutely sure, of course, something else. My crutches will see. My noncommittal we'll responses see. will see. We'll have to see. If you have a question you want us to answer, let us know. Send an email to theinvestigators at fox6now.com. Thanks for listening to Open Record. We'd like to quickly thank the people helping make this happen. Producer Pete, our editor Dave Machuda, and executive producer Leanne Watson. And if you want more Open Record, just head to our website, fox6now.com. Tribune Audio Network.